listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. And so today we are going to be studying beginning through the book of Micah. It's only seven chapters, hundred maybe you think five verses in our English translations. And so here's the challenge. Go and read this week through this book. You could start today or start Monday. Read a chapter a day, and I promise you, you will get much more out of our Sunday morning sermons by doing that. But the minor prophets can often be some of the most challenging ones that we read. And I believe the difficulty with them Maybe why they are neglected is not that they're so much hard to understand, even though some of them are, but it's their message is often uncomfortable. And what is uncomfortable about the minor prophets is that they cause us to get up close and personal with who we are and especially our sin. In fact, it's impossible to read through the minor prophets, including Micah, with having your life challenged. So I want to be honest with us that as we walk through this series, there are going to be times we're going to look into this mirror of Micah, and many times we're going to want to look away. It's going to get uncomfortable. It will get painful. And so as painful as it may be at times, it will be for our good. So this morning, hopefully you found it. If you're not quite for sure, if you look in the very beginning of your Bible, it will list for you the books. Uh, Mine is uh, on page 1,291. Uh, Yours may be a little different, but that's the easiest way to find it. Or if you can hit Psalms, that's usually, it's a large book, and then just head east. And eventually, you will find it. But you'll have to turn slow. It's a small book, only seven chapters, but eventually we will Uh, you'll land there. But here's what I want to do. I want to speak, first of all, prophets generally, kind of that 30,000-foot view, and then specifically to Micah. And then if you have a bulletin this morning, yes, we have only one verse that we will talk about today. But here's prophets in general. If you read through any prophets, there are three themes or major ideas that every prophet builds upon. The first one It's God's sovereignty over history, meaning this, that God is in absolute control and nothing happens either to Israel or a Gentile nation that is not the result of God's direct determination. The locust you read about in Joel, the destruction of Nineveh we read about in Jonah, the invasion of Assyria, the captivity in Babylon. It was the Lord who directed Every single one of those. But then that causes the age-old question, then why does God allow evil things? I mean, I want you to know, we're studying through this book of Micah. I've been asking myself, the Bible doesn't record all of history. So Micah is placed here for a unique purpose. And one of the questions that we walk into is, why does, why does God allow certain things like this to happen, especially as believers that we say, God says, that's mine. Why would he do that? Well, it brings us to the second theme. It's God's holiness. Meaning this, that God takes sin 
seriously, far greater than we think or even realize. And it doesn't matter if that sin is found in a foreign land of Edom or Sodom and Gomorrah or even among God's chosen people, Israel. It is an offense to God and it calls for judgment, meaning this, that sin must be punished. And nowhere in the Bible is there a stronger denouncing of sin and a deeper call of repentance than through the beauty of the prophets. The prophets will say over and over again today and even cry to us from the grave, apart from repentance, judgment falls. But the third theme is this, the one we enjoy talking about, God's love. The prophets not only talk about God's judgment, but they talk about His love. And in fact, it is because of God's great love that He sends these prophets with the message of coming judgment. But we ask, how, how is that a, an act of love by telling people that judgment is coming? But God knows that sin is an outrage against Himself and all humanity and even the one sinning. He knows that sin is destructive and God judges sin so that sinners like Israel that we will see today, but that you and I, that we would turn from our sin back to that loving God. So we need, we need these themes and we need them emphasized today. We need them as individuals. We need them uh, because we sin and we run away from God. We need them as a nation because God will judge all nations for their sin. And that's, that's prophets in general. What about Micah? Well, in Micah, as you're kind of maybe turning those pages there on your smartphone, Micah's going to have three major sections. 1-1 one, one begins, 3-1, and then it's 6-1. He's got three major sections. And each section is like that old-timey teeter-totty, a teeter-totter that I think they've even outlawed today. Kids, ours were wooden. They were death traps. But a teeter-totter, what he does, he's going to talk about God's judgment is coming. He is warning them of that. But every time, there'll be a message of hope. In every section, God's judgment is coming, Judah and Israel. But there is a message of hope. And this is why the minor prophets are often so overlooked that no one enjoys talking about that side of the teeter-totter of judgment. We like peace, we like love, hope, and restoration, but we do not like destruction, exile, and judgment. So here's the overall focus. We're talking about Micah. Micah's chief focus is the sin and the transgressions of two groups of people, of Israel and Judah. But the God who must punish sin because of His holiness his name must be upheld. Sin has to be punished. But he also promises to deliver, to restore, and even to bless his people because he is love. Meaning God hates idolatry and injustice and rebellion and sin of any kind. Yet, he delights to pardon those that repent. And so what it shows us is the gospel is not just something that we get to in the book of Matthew and walk through the New Testament, that the gospel is all throughout and is interwoven into every fabric of Scripture. And as Micah opens up, this is what we're going to see. Decisions have consequences. 
Micah's going to say decisions have consequences, and wrong decisions are hard to shake. In fact, one of my favorite movies is the 1994 cinematic genius called Dumb and Dumber. It, it is so great. I've got nearly the whole thing memorized, the version on TV, not the other one. And, but here's, here's what it is about these movies. Like Even looking back over ones like Inspector Gadget, Naked Gun, even Pirates of the Caribbean, I was thinking through some of these movies. And why do we like these movies so much? Why am I so fascinated with two crazy characters in Dumb and Dumber? It's because we have movies that they continue to make bad decision after bad decision, and it always works in their favor. And deep down, we love that. Man, they can make the stupidest decision there is, and they end up in the end, it ends up working out for them. But we know the problem is, that's not real life. That decisions have consequences, and bad decisions are hard to shake. They follow us around. And this is where we find the book of Micah. It is a result of bad decision after bad decision for generation upon generation upon generation. And the consequences finally catch up to them. So let's look. Let's look at the very first verse of Micah. That's all we'll talk about today. But what we're going to do, we're going to take this one verse... And it's got four important phrases, and we're going to kind of pull out some thoughts about those. And along the way, we're going to look at them in their historical context, because that is the only way to understand this book. But then we will draw out some applications for us today. So let me begin in verse 1 of Micah. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria in Jerusalem. All right, so the first part, the word of the Lord came to. Now, Micah is living about 700 years before the birth of Christ. So I've got a little timeline just to kind of help us out here. I've got several graphics. And so as you were to back up around 2,000 years before Christ... We get Abraham and his son Isaac and Jacob. 1,500 years we move into slavery of Egypt with Moses in the Exodus. Then we are introduced to the first king, Saul. His, uh, the person that replaces him, the true king, David. His son, Solomon, reigns. Then we get the divided kingdom. And the right in here is where we picture and we have the prophet Micah. Eventually we're going to talk about the Assyrian conquest of the north. He's going to prophesy about Babylon capturing the southern kingdom leading up to the coming of the Messiah. But here's what's happening. It says the word of the Lord came to I mean, Micah, he, he's going about his life. We don't really know what Micah did for a profession or what he did for a living. But Micah, he's going on about his life, and the word of the Lord came to him. And here's what we have to understand. This is not Micah's message. This is not Micah's doing. This is God being in control of him being sovereign. Micah did not even go looking for this message. He did not climb into his closet Get into the bottom of that and ask for a word from the Lord. 
Micah is going about his day, and here's what happens. The word of the Lord, unannounced, interrupted Micah's life. He's going about his ordinary lay. He's going about his life, maybe working in the field, working as a blacksmith. We're not for sure. And the Lord interrupts his life with his words. Seven words in, and already we have relevance for us today. God's word, the Bibles that we hold in our hand, man, they should have that place that ever so often they are interrupting our lives. In fact, Wednesday night, we're beginning a brand new series with our youth. We meet at the Crumbs home. We're going to start at 6 o'clock this week. And we're going to be talking through a book called The 20 Essentials Every Christian Should Know. And the very first one is the authority of the Bible. Because if we lose the authority of Scripture, guess, guess what we lose? We lose Christianity. And we're starting with the most important thing about it is its authority in our lives. And I think this is something that we are in danger of losing, even as followers of Christ, that we are giving away to too many authorities in our life. When in fact, God's word should be the absolute, the sola scriptura of our lives. Maybe it's we don't know it. Maybe we just don't know it. And that's the importance of getting around God's word with people in Bible studies and in connections class and on Sunday mornings and in our life groups is getting around and opening up the pages of God's word so that then we have meaning. But that we're also not allowing it to have that authority in our lives that we would say, I know what God's word says, but... So the word of the Lord, it came and it interrupted Micah's life. It came to him. He did not even go searching for it. But notice who God sent it to, the next phrase. To Micah of Morasheth. Now, it's important to see here that uh, if you were a nobody, if you were a nobody, this is how Scripture would talk about you. It would say, Mark from Ozark, Arkansas. Because if you really were someone, they would introduce you as so-and-so, the son of somebody. So I would be Mark, the son of Bill Kirkendall, because it was with that name came importance. And it came all kinds of certain things about it. So it means that if you were introduced as uh, Micah of Morasheth, he was a nobody. No one knew who Micah was. His name, his, his lineage, his father's name, it would, mean no, it would not mean anything. And so here's a map. Here's what I need us to see is that uh, you will have the kingdoms here. And on the bottom half of it, we there? the bottom half of it, you'll see Judah. And you see Jerusalem? That you would head 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And you would come to the small rural town of Morasheth. So notice where he is, but I want you to notice, because we're going to talk about it in just a moment, that right around Jerusalem, you go to Bethlehem, and all of a sudden you've got two different kingdoms. But two things I want us to know about Micah of Morasheth. First of all, Micah was not someone of great importance. No one knew who he was. He was not someone that was well known. In fact, Micah, he did not even come from a major city. He's from a small rural town, 25 miles southwest of the capital of Jerusalem. So Micah is not someone that most people would listen to. Micah was not someone of great influence. 
But the great thing is, is God doesn't need well-known people. He doesn't need people of great power and influence. God is capable of using ordinary people like Micah and like you and me. In fact, last week I finished a book uh, called The Imperfect Pastor. And the premise of this book is that so many young guys are coming into the ministry and they're in danger of so many of pursuing the desire of being known. Because we read about this guy and he's published this book and he's on this preaching circuit. and He went to this school and, and he rubs shoulders with this guy and he's at this conference. And, and guys can get to the place that they want to pursue a place to be known. And it's a warning against that. But yes, God has used well-known people. He's used names that we recognize like Billy Graham and James Dobson and leaders like Bill Hybels and, and teachers like Beth Moore. But God has used countless people to do incredible things for the kingdom of God that many people never know their name. So have you ever thought about that you and I are only about three to four generations away from no one even knowing your name. My great-great-grandchildren may never know my name, but God will. And He is in the business of using ordinary people like you and me for this moment right where we are, that God wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of those around you in your home and in your work and in your neighborhood. Just like he used an ordinary guy from Morishad to bring a message of warning and a promise of hope. So he was no one. No one knew who this man was. He was this young, unknown man from Morishad. But now notice the timeline. The next phrase, it, it is in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the, the kings of Judah, and this tells us so many things. First, this is during the time when God's people were divided. Remember the map with the two kingdoms of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah? Because 100 year, years later, God had a plan for a, a small group of people. And God chose them. He, he chose this nation of Israel to be a light to the world. It says they weren't chosen because they were great or they were powerful or they were many in number. He chose them simply because he chose them. And he calls this small group of people and he has a unique plan for them. You know what the, the plan for Israel was? They were to follow God's law. They were to worship him only instead of all the other so-called gods. They were to work hard for six days and rest on the seventh. Every seven years, they were to let their land rest. In 50 years, every 50 years, they were for, to forgive all debts. And the reason was so that all those around them would watch and they would have a question, why are you doing these strange things? Why do you not come to our festivals? Why do you not worship all these other gods? Why do you take this one day and you rest? I saw you forgive that debt that's been going on for 50 years. Why do you do that? So that they would have the answer to say, it's because of our God, Yahweh. He wanted them to be a mirror of himself to reflect his love, his mercy, and grace. 
but Israel failed. And so here's what it looks like. Look at this picture of the kings. So what did they do? Instead of being different and, and setting themselves apart, they looked around at their neighbors and they said, we want to be just like them. We want a king. God said, are you sure? He said, we want a king. We want to be like everyone else. And so God allows the king Saul to come into reign. And then David follows. And then Solomon. And then Solomon has two sons by the name of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And these men are prideful. They are selfish. And all of a sudden, now the kingdom of Israel is divided. The ten tribes of the north create Israel, and the southern tribe of Judah is led by Rehoboam. And nine nine kings go by before we get the first one that is mentioned here in Isaiah, uh, in Micah, called Jotham. So what we have is a land divided, a nation divided. And what we see is that a people divided will never be as strong as one united. I mean, think about the application today. A home that's divided, it'll never be as strong as one that is together. A husband and wife divided will never be as strong as a couple united. A church divided will never be as strong as a church united. So nine kings later, we find Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So let's get to know them. First of all, Jotham. Jotham was the son of a man named Uzziah. Uzziah was the king that uh, went into the temple. He went in there and he made an an impure sacrifice and God struck him with leprosy. So Jotham inherits the kingship from his father. And in 2 Kings 15, it tells us that Jotham did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Finally, a king that will follow Yahweh, except he left one thing undone and it will haunt Israel and Judah for years and years. It says that he did not tear down the temples in the high places. What that means is that during this time people could worship the one true God. You could have that on one side of the road but on the other side of the road you could worship the other idols. They allowed for both. He did not tear down the temples of the high places. And so here's what we see. When people of all ages and all times are experiencing prosperity, because that is what is happening in Micah's day. Everything is great. they got more money than they know what to do with. Everyone is prosperous. When we're prosperous, here's what happens. We can become lax. When life is good, when things are going well, when we're prosperous... We can become lax and neglect self-examination. We get comfortable. And that was what was happening in Micah's day. They had a false sense of health. It's like the guy that knows he's sick, but the last thing he wants to do is go to the doctor. And why? Because he's going to tell him that he's sick. And the problem is that everyone looked around and said, what needs do I have? Everything is going well. And they were neglecting what was really happening in their lives. And this is what was happening in Micah's time. Everything was going well. There was great prosperity. And no one wants someone to tell them what they're doing is going to lead to destruction. So when life is prosperous, when life is good, 
we can often neglect seeing who we really are. And then we get the next king, Jotham's son, Ahaz. So, um, the first one, Jotham, good, except the one thing, Ahaz, bad. He was a wicked king. In fact, you turn one chapter over in 2 Kings 16. It says that he followed the ways of the kings of the north. Ahaz, he worshipped other gods to the point that he sacrificed his own son. He looked around. He feels threatened by all the other kingdoms around him. So he makes an alliance with a kingdom of Assyria. So he journeys up to meet this king to beg for an alliance instead of trusting God. And along the way, he sees an altar. He's so impressed by this altar, he draws a sketch and he sends it back uh, to his high priest Uriah to build it. Pagan worship becomes alive more than it ever had. Men, don't we see this today? That we want Jesus, but we also want many other treasures in our life. We want to trust in Jesus, but we also have these other things that can be kind of just in case. We want Jesus in our lives as long as it doesn't get too uncomfortable. So Ahaz dies, and then the son, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, he's a good king. In fact, he reigns for 29 years. You can read about him in 2 Kings 20. He sees the evil of the people. And what does he do? He finally, he tears down the altars and he shuts down the temples of the high places. And most of his life, it is spent following God and leading people in the right way. But the problem is, it's right up until the end that he fails. Hezekiah gets sick. He cries out to the Lord and the Lord grants him 15 more years. But in his pridefulness, the king of Babylon comes to see him. He'd heard about his healing. And what does Hezekiah do? He shows him everything that the the tribe of Judah owns. And so what does that do? The the Babylonian king sees all this. And in fact, the prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, Why did you do this? Why did you show him all of this? And what we will see is that God will then send Babylon to carry Judah away into captivity. So you're going to see the downfall of the southern kingdom. We'll see that during uh, Micah's time. And I notice this last phrase, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. That's really interesting. In fact, Samaria doesn't even exist at the time He's riding, but what happens is the ten tribes we will see are going to be carried away into captivity. And when they come back, that's where we get the people of Samaria and the Good Samaritan. But it becomes the capital of the north, and Jerusalem is the capital of the south. But notice this, not only did the word of the Lord come to Micah, look how it came. It says that he saw concerning Samaria in Jerusalem. Micah saw the message. So what message did he see? Well, without giving too much away, he sees two kingdoms, a divided kingdom of the northern kingdom called Israel and the twelve tribes, Samaria. And he sees the southern kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem. And this is what we're going to be unpacking for the next several weeks. 
everyone. Everyone has the same problem. No matter whether you're from a tribe from the north or whether you're from a tribe of the south, no matter if you're well known or if no one knows your name, if you're well off or you barely have enough to get by, we all have the same problem. And this problem knows no prejudice. God's people back then and God's people today were expected to live according to God's covenant. If they did, guess what it meant? It meant they would be blessed. And if they did not, it meant that God would judge. And Micah is going to point out how everyone has failed in living up to the covenant. So the one thing that the people of God are known for is our consistent sinfulness. You go back to the garden with Adam and Eve. We see it through the generations of Noah. We see the sinfulness of the lives of Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, to the decline of the kingdom of Israel, to the captivity, even to the disgrace of the Jews. That God's people throughout generations have always been a complete disappointment. They were failures. And they thought their solution was a king. And even their kings turned out to be failures and often led the people away from God. One side of the kingdom. Judgment is coming. But it slowly begins to turn. And God had a plan. God had a plan to recover mankind. And God is so sure of himself. And this is why God allows evil. God is so sure of himself. What he can accomplish. That he allows sinfulness and evil to have their way. But they are always under the control of his hand. And in time, evil will burn itself out. And the pure will of God will finally and purely emerge. And guess what? It does, and it does as a king, and his name is Jesus, and the one who will rightly lead the people. And Micah is going to speak about him 700 years before he ever shows up. And so here's the thought. Here's what I want you to take away from this morning as we just set the framework for this series. This book is a message of judgment and hope. And just like the people of Micah's day, we can become so comfortable. But what we need to realize is that prosperity doesn't necessarily mean that we are close to God. And I think that we can often look at that. If I'm doing well and everything I have, and I think I'm being close to God. And we don't realize that danger is just around the corner. But a lack of prosperity doesn't necessarily mean that God is far away. Because this is what is happening during Micah's time. And it's just as relevant for us today. The decisions have consequences. And wrong decisions are often hard to shake. But every, every moment of your life, every moment of mine, every moment of Micah's, and everyone that heard him run through the streets like a crazy man, every moment of your life, whether triumph or tragedy, Success or failure, prosperity or poverty, God is in control of every single one of them. Let's pray.
Father, we ask this morning that you would take the truth of this prophet Micah. That you allow us to be able to see ourselves more clearly. That we would see who we are without you. That we could rightly see ourselves. And at the same time be able to know that the other side of that page is full of mercy and restoration and hope. That in every moment of our life, whether triumph or tragedy, success or failure or prosperity or poverty, that you are in control of all of those and no moment is wasted by you. You are working your will in every single one of those for believers that are trying to follow you in obedience. And Lord, in the end, we believe that evil will burn itself out and your pure will will emerge. And we are thankful for that plan, that that plan was that King Jesus. And we look forward to opening up the pages of this prophet and seeing him. And so, Father, it is in your Son's name that we ask all of these things. And by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.